0: Welcome to this episode of Woman to Woman Podcast. Our guest today is Samina Bari. Samina is a biotech executive and strategic advisor with a distinguished track record of value creation through notable acquisitions within the pharmaceutical industry. She's a valued partner to CEOs and boards and advises companies at various stages of transition, whether private or IPO, early stage, public or development stage to commercialization. She has over 30 years of experience and success in delivering outcomes and analytics
1: results in and in competitive businesses.
0: Welcome, Samina, to Women to Woman podcast. So excited to have you.
1: Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here.
0: Let's start all the way back from your childhood. How was your childhood? Did you have certain people that really shaped you? Did you have role models that you looked up to?
1: Well, you know, I think we have to we have to go back a little bit because my childhood is not a typical childhood. I am first generation Indian and Pakistani Muslim. Um and I was a child in the um early 1970s. So, that was a long time ago and I was raised in a borough of New York City called Staten Island in New York and I was the only uh person of my color and my background in my school, throughout my entire kindergarten through high school uh, ages. And so growing up, I didn't see a lot of people like me. And the children of uh, my parents' friends who were of the same background, somehow I didn't connect with them. I was one of those children who was torn between the culture in which I was trying to be raised and the culture in which I was actually being raised. So if you can think about it, I... Um, I've always felt this tension growing up, where I didn't feel like I quite belonged in either the the brown or the white world. Um, so, as you can imagine, it's a lonely. Childhood. It's it's something that you know. At that time, there weren't a lot of people. At that time, we didn't have technology. We didn't have social media. The world was in no way connected like it is now. So when you're growing up in that type of a an environment, um, it really is up to you to help shape what you think your future is and what you think you want to do, who you think you're going to be. And, you know, I am one of those strange people who, because no one really looked like me or resonated with me, I didn't have a lot of role models growing up. So there's no one I can really think about um, at the time who was a woman of color uh, and certainly not a Muslim uh, woman because my parents were fairly conservative and they were raising me in Uh, my mother in particular fairly conservatively so my drive for ambition wasn't always a good thing in their eyes
0: and that's very interesting right because you have a way of looking at things based on your environment your schooling your friends and your peer group were there certain people that really helped you bridge that gap between cultures at home and at school
1: absolutely um, in the kindergarten, in, in kindergarten, I went to the same school. I went to a Catholic girls' school. Um, I met um, someone who would become my lifelong friend. Um, her name was Lisa, and she was one of the first people who really taught me to believe in myself and who really didn't consider me other. Um, I happened to uh, share a lot of physical features with her, so we were often mistaken as for sisters. And you know, we went through so many pivotal moments in life Um, you know coming of age moments you know boyfriends and prom and all sorts of things but she really um, was my sounding board understood the frustration i felt at home with being caught between two cultures really wanting to be the american who i was born and trying to satisfy Parents from a different culture. And when I say parents, my father was a physician um, in New York and he was far more westernized than my mother. But my mother's expectations of me were to be a good, obedient, compliant Muslim girl who was well educated so I could find a nice man to marry and then have grandchildren. And maybe somewhere along the line, if I was so inclined, I would be a doctor. Clearly, um none of that happened. <laughs> <laughs> and through thick and thin uh lisa was really pivotal in helping me cope through those teenage years of angst and the young adulthood and trying to you know figure out who i was in life and who i wanted to be
0: and you had mentioned earlier like you actually had a plan you had a yeah. plan for your career and you went ahead with it. So how did you come about that? Like at high school, did you decide this is how I'm going to chart my life?
1: Yeah. You know, it, it's funny because I think I I'd been, I had grown up with such a sense of discontent. I just used the anger and frustration I felt to kind of fuel a plan for myself. And it really sh- helped shape who I became because I knew I wanted to, for example, Move away from my parents as soon as possible. I knew I wanted to be independent. I knew I envisioned being something professional and successful. I knew I enjoyed healthcare, um, much to my parents' chagrin. I didn't want to go to medical school, but I really did enjoy healthcare and I wanted to contribute somehow. Um, and I think because I was so driven and purposeful about kind of escaping the life that my mother had planned out for me, I rapidly formed my own plan. So what I did was um, I architected my own 20-year career plan. And it was based on independence. It was based on where I envisioned I would be at a certain point in life. And I, and I did this probably in college. And I knew exactly how many years I would work in certain industries. Again, I mentioned healthcare. Um, and that really was a love of healthcare because of my father and my admiration for him as as a person and as a physician who really cared deeply about about people. You know, I will say to a T almost my twenty year plan came true. I envisioned myself in uh, working in a hospital for pa- a patient care understanding, and I did that for five years. And then I moved on to uh, large multinational agencies, communications agencies. I did that for about nine years. Then I moved in house, and at the time, the the two largest, most prominent pharmaceutical companies were were Pfizer and Johnson and Johnson. So I'd had my sights set on Pfizer and Johnson and Johnson. Lo and behold, my first pharmaceutical job was at Pfizer. My second was at Johnson and Johnson. And, you know, then I realized I was at that point in my career where I wanted to pivot and have more direct accountability and be more directly involved in business and so I moved to smaller and mid sized companies. And I've stayed in the biopharma space this entire time. And I've been really fortunate in pivoting the direction of my career to focusing more towards transformation. Um, and I think that's really reflective of kind of what my life has always been about. It was about transforming the future that my mother had seen for me, it was about transforming my own perception of what I could do, it was about transforming what women think they're capable of um, and about ultimately also transforming healthcare and how patients receive care. And, you know, what could I do to help be a part of that, if if not a small part of that?
0: Out of the 125 women I've interviewed for this podcast till date, you are one of the three that had a plan and the whole plan came to fruition the way you had envisioned. (laughs) Kudos to you. Clearly, you had a good plan. You had a very (laughs) realistic plan and you definitely worked towards your plan. Towards. So that's that's saying something, right?
1: Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you know, it doesn't tell me though, you know, what do I do now? So I'm at a, a, a crossroads right now because all of this has come true. Um, and so I find myself at this point in midlife asking myself, well, what's next? So, you know, clearly there was a plan and I'm glad it did come through, but it's time for me to re-architect another plan for the the latter part of my career.
0: given your track record you'll do another great plan and it'll come to fruition thank you all the best with that so along the way were there certain skill sets that you felt were extremely helpful in moving things forward and that now looking back also you're like that was a great skill set i picked up you know maybe my first job or in my internship what kind of skill sets should people seek out
1: you know i think um you know of course there are critical thinking skills. There are financial analytics skills and there are communication skills. I think, however, the most important thing for, you know, especially young women who are starting out is, are some of the soft skills. Um, some of the things that I learned through trial and error um, and through, you know, unfortunate experiences sometimes, you know, don't not to apologize. So women tend to say sorry a lot. And something I've noticed over the years is men never say they're sorry. And I started it. I started that as an experiment with myself many, many years ago. And it's incredibly freeing. And you do notice a difference in how male colleagues interact with you. Um, It does change the power dynamic. I think also having belief in yourself. I've spoken with so many women who claim they have imposter syndrome and not that it's not real, but you know, again, I often compare myself to our male counterparts who don't suffer from the self-doubt that women tend to. So I would just say, be unabashedly yourself and, you know, believe in yourself. Develop some soft skills, um, you know, like standing up for yourself, always feeling that you're doing the right thing for the right reason, uh, not because you're feeling that you have to necessarily agree with a superior of yours. And to that end, you know, understanding diplomacy goes a long way. Um, There are very, very diplomatic ways to respectfully disagree with senior leaders and it's really important that women just find their voice. And of course, I've got a whole, you know, decades worth of experience backing this up. And I, I recognize it can be very daunting to um, professionals who are figuring out their way. But, you know, it, again, if there's any skills I can, I can impart that, that are important, it's those interpersonal skills. It's the emotional intelligence skills, the signs of great leaders are are their ability to lead in trustworthy, genuine, authentic ways. That also includes being genuine and authentic to who you are as an individual.
0: Very well said. Another topic that comes up all the time is, you know, when you're straight out of school, new to a job and you're trying to network, Mm -hmm. women in general are not that great at networking, but especially when you're starting out, do you have any advice for our listeners or young listeners? How did you approach networking and how did you build your network?
1: Absolutely. Well, again, you know, let's remember, I grew up in a very different time where we didn't have these opportunities and even, you know, women in the workplace uh, movements were not were were non-existent. I grew up in a, a white male business. Um, So it was very difficult for me, you know, and I had to develop some sharp elbows and some savvy talking skills and networking skills. And I had to be fundamentally more aggressive. And I recognize that's not in everyone's wheelhouse. That's not everyone's personality. It happens to be mine. But I think now there are so many wonderful opportunities to network. What I have seen uh, work quite effectively is if, if your parents are in an industry Or if your parents know people in a certain industry, don't be afraid to ask your parents to create introductions. I have spoken to so many young people because of favors to their parents, and you'd be so surprised how valuable it is just to have someone with real world practical advice help guide you. And I think also we live in such a time that, you know, women want to lift women up. You know, it is kind of, you know, I feel like it's my obligation to give back to the next generation and to help uh, nurture the next generation leaders. And I think, you know, that the world is filled with, you know, generosity of time, generosity of networking, and so many people would be happy to help. It's just a matter of going out there and asking. And I know that's not always easy, but- you know, the worst anyone could say is no. But why not? Why not ask? And I think people will be pleasantly surprised that there are a lot of people who'd like to help.
0: I completely agree. Like it, it's amazing. You don't realize and you don't understand, but there's so many people willing to help. Take that extra step and really mentor people,
1: which yeah. brings me
0: to mentorship. Mm you know, it's hard to find time, but when you kind of go up in your career, people are seeking you out as mentors. Yes. So have you been involved in any kind of like formal mentorship programs, informer, and how did you seek out mentors when you were coming up?
1: Yeah, you know, that that's really interesting. I mean, when I grew yeah. In the industry, again, I grew up in an industry of, of white males. And so, you know, again, this is 19, 1980s, 90s, early 2000s. The world was fundamentally different. And uh, I happened to be in healthcare. So, you know, and, and a very specific area of healthcare, which is very much male dominated. By chance, my mentors happened to be middle-aged white men, you know, and I didn't plan it that way. But again, I again, I grew up in New York. I My early part of my career was in New York, During a time in which women were not always so generous with other women, it was quite competitive. So it was very hard to find women who wanted to mentor other women because it was a threat then, you know. And so my male mentors and sponsors have been have been wonderful, wonderful men who have taken the time to explain things to me, to coach me, to give me advice, to open me up to opportunities. Um, And I would say just, you know, find them where you can. And it doesn't have to be anything formal. It can be, can I meet you for coffee? Can I get your thoughts on something? I would really value your advice, uh, you know, about something. Would you have a few minutes to spare? Right now, I you know, I do serve as an informal mentor to a number of of young women at various points in their career, and it's you know not anything formal. It's just you know people who check in at various points when they're they're making career moves, whether they've got big decisions to make, and really truly, there's nothing more gratifying than that to know that you've played a small part in helping someone succeed in life and in doing something they love. So again, it doesn't have to be anything formal, and it doesn't have to be anything daunting. Um, But seek seek mentorship where you can find it and people would be more than willing.
0: So you have twins.
1: I do. Twin girls, yes. Twin
0: girls. When you were in your career, how did this whole work-life balance play a role?
1: Well, yeah, you know, so uh, my girls are seven uh, and I am an older parent. Uh, My my husband and I really prioritized the career first. Uh, You know, we prioritized our career. We prioritized travel and uh, relocating for various jobs. And uh, those things catch up with you. So we had a little bit of um, a a struggle to have our children. So they came later than they probably should have. And with that, I also tended to coincide with a very busy time in my career. And I had a very, very supportive husband who When the girls were born, decided to sit back and, you know, be grateful for all of the remarkable achievements he had made during his career and channel those energies and efforts into raising our girls. So I had a very unique and wonderfully supportive husband who stayed home with the kids while I traveled and I went all over the place and I, you know, was running massive efforts and was home very little in fact there was 17 months where i commuted from austin to new york city each week um, and he was home with the kids um and so that's a really unusual circumstance so i had a lovely lovely supportive husband who allowed me to really soar
0: talking about in general things that we tend to gravitate towards more and you kind of mentioned that you know we say sorry a lot more than we should Mm. are there certain traits that we should develop to become more stronger, to get more in life and career? And what would those be?
1: Yeah. You know, I think, yes, not saying sorry, not being apologetic, um, believing in yourself. I mean, you know, there's something, there's a trick that I teach, uh, that I, I teach my CEOs when we do investor calls. And it is to smile, even when you're on the phone, because it changes your entire physiology. It changes the tone of your voice, it changes how you feel about yourself and how you project. Um, I recommend that in life too. put your shoulders back, stand up straight, and it'll help you believe in yourself. You know, I think n- not being afraid to do the right thing or say, you know, make the right decision, even if it's unpopular, that goes a long way to knowing that each morning you wake up and you look yourself in the mirror and you know you've done the right thing. Because no one ever feels good about themselves when they feel like they've not been truthful to themselves or they went along with a popular decision, even if they didn't believe in it. So, you know, don't be afraid to, you know, to stand up for what you believe in and and do the right thing. You know, I think also, also, and I can't um, be express this enough, be open to coaching. Don't take it as criticism. Take it as an opportunity to learn. Um, because you know you're never too old or too far in your career to learn something new or to be humbled in a small way. Um, and only people who care about you or, or perhaps are being told, you know paid to to tell you how to make you more effective are going to be that honest with you. So take that. And if if there's anger or frustration, use that to fuel you not to break you. That's something I learned so early on when growing up, it seemed like life was conspiring against me. My mother was not supporting me. And I had so many naysayers in my life. It made me angry, but I used that anger to really fuel my drive. Um, and I would encourage that because there are only two ways anger can go. You know, You either keep it in and it eats away at you, or you project it out either constructively or critically, use it constructively and let that drive you. And I think above all, you know treat everyone with respect. It's such a small world. you never know where you'll be, what position you'll be in life. It costs nothing to tell people you appreciate them. sending a quick thank you email you would be, you know just so surprised it could make someone's day. Um, so I think you know those those are kind of my big takeaways, you know, just do the right thing, believe in yourself, treat people with respect and you know take anger and frustration and use it as fuel
0: did you ever face any typical perceptions that surround women and how did you deal with that
1: oh absolutely uh, again you know based on my background i grew up in a very a, a very new culture in the united states the the pakistani muslim culture in new york uh during a time where there were not a lot you know in the community at all and There was an expectation that young girls follow the stereotype of being subservient to men, not making eye contact, not having aspirations, not laughing too loud, not looking them in the eye, all sorts of very second-class citizen behaviors. Uh, And that was the expectation. And frankly, even at a young age, that made me so angry. I immediately saw the misogyny in it, the the unfairness of it. And I always was the person who did the wrong thing, according to my mother. So I was forever the black sheep. I had a mother, again, who had very low expectations of me other than to be obedient, subservient, and have grandchildren for her. So I faced no shortage of criticism from her. Um, and you know that's quite sad when you think about mothers and mothers wanting better for their girls, especially, and wanting to encourage them and tell them that they can do whatever they dream of. My mother did the exact opposite. My mother told me what I couldn't, shouldn't, and wouldn't do in life. And this continued on until I was an adult where she she would like just really mock how hard I would work and say really hurtful things like, you know, I don't know why you work as hard as a man. You're never going to be as good as one. And now that's shocking, isn't it? And that was my mother, and that's what I lived with. Um, so, in addition to her, I also, you know, faced a very uh, gossipy, close-knit community of her peers. You know, again, that's where that's where my personality developed in an opposite direction. I used that anger and frustration as fuel. Uh, not that I was going to show them one day; it wasn't for revenge or one-upping them, but just for me to get out of there to just get out of their world and and just architect my own life the way i wanted to on my terms.
0: So if you could go back and tell your younger self one piece of advice, what would that be?
1: Oh, that's a that's a great question. It would be, you know, probably to give myself some grace. Um and it's because i became the person i am because of the anger and i probably was more angry And not channeling it correctly when I was younger, and so I I tended to be a little bit of an introvert, and I tended to seethe quite a bit until I learned uh, eventually how to use it more constructively, Um, but not to um, not to sweat that that early on, because there are so many more years left to life. Ultimately, I, I would have the ability to make those decisions on my own and really be in charge of my life, and I think that's what all young people in particular, young women who may find themselves um, kind of living in cultures that are oppressive. And we certainly know there are so many of them around the world today, where they are today doesn't mean and doesn't dictate where they'll be tomorrow. So, you know, just kind of hang in there and don't let it find you at the moment. There's more to life and more life to come.
0: On a fun note. Yeah. Any fun fact that not a lot of people know about you?
1: Oh, goodness. Um, well, yes, my husband um, was a sailor. My husband passed away recently, um, but he was a sailor. And when we were dating early in our, our relationship, he asked me to help crew a boat with him, but he wouldn't do it on his own. So he uh, made me get certified in kill boat sailing. And I did. And I grew up as the least athletic person in the world, and I'm still not athletic. And not only did I learn and get certified in heelboat sailing, but I learned it in the middle of winter on the Hudson River between Jersey City and Lower Manhattan. And as you can imagine, it was like Gilligan's Island, like the three-hour tour, the, the boats were going back and forth, and I would come back drenched and so unhappy and um, freezing. Um, but yeah, I actually can be decent crew on a boat now. So uh, it was worth it after all of that. But that is like a little fun fact because uh, I don't really swim very well, but I do know how to crew a boat.
0: <laughs> that is amazing. I did not know they do it in the middle of winter.
1: Uh, they do. They shouldn't. Um, and maybe it wasn't winter. Maybe I'm exact. It could have been March, April, but it was still bloody freezing, right? It's It's yeah. freezing on the water in New York. Uh, at that time of year <laughs> so
0: but congratulations hey you're
1: certified thank Not you a lot I of
0: people can say that
1: i know i know it's it's kind of a, a great party uh factoid <laughs> so in closing Semina, any comments for our listeners? yes i you know the all the listeners are in a moment of time in which women have really evolved in the workplace and in life And I know some things are not going the way we want, such as Roe v. Wade. Certainly, we're going backwards in some respects. But societally, I think um, in terms of careers, women are supporting more women. Women have more women's backs. There are support networks. There are communities. There are so many people who want to see the next generation of women succeed. And I think it's just a wonderful time to be a woman in the United States, at least. Um, And also in other countries, even if it's, it's not the same societally know that the world is now connected in ways that it wasn't when I was growing up and the resources and encouragement and, and sisterhood that's out there today is real And it really, everyone is rooting for everyone else's success. We're here to raise each other up.
0: Thank you so much, Samina. You doing this interview is part of that, you know, helping other women. So I really, really appreciate your time and all the amazing stories and comments. Um, So really thank you for your time.
1: Oh, thank you so much. It was a pleasure being with you. Thank you for having me.